Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G. It is 2017. It's great to be back. And just in two weeks, January 12th in San Antonio, we have the San Antonio Cocktail Conference 2017, bringing some of the greatest personalities and minds in the game together to share their knowledge with you. And what I wanted to do in preparation for the conference is share a few interviews from some of the fine presenters this year. The first interview with the amazing Jacob Greer, a Portland guy, a lobbying guy, and author. In fact, his book, Cocktails on Tap, The Art of Mixing Spirits and Beer, is available on Amazon.com and at a store near you. Jacob is also a massive fan of Aquavit. And in fact, his class, Aquavit, a global tour, is going to be held on January 13th at 11 a.m. in the Embassy Suites Riverwalk downtown. A brief description of the class Aquavit is emerging as one of the most exciting yet undiscovered spirits in the bartender's arsenal. This seminar will cover its history in Nordic countries, its contemporary adoption by American craft distillers, and how to use it in cocktails. Tastings in this seminar may actually include spirits from Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and the U.S. Jacob and I had a chance to sit down and chat when he was in town for USBG meeting, chatting about his book. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Jacob Greer. Yeah, it's a really cool venue, a beautiful space, had about 20 people turn up. Oh, killer. Yeah, so got to go do a nice little half-hour chat on beer cocktails. To the beer history. cocktails. Yeah. I noticed that beer is a larger font size and capitalized on the cover of your book. I think that's something worth talking about here in a second. <laughs> was that intentional? Um, I don't know how, I mean, it obviously was. I didn't do too much to do with the design. Yeah. Um, but the, our biggest, biggest concern, which is it turns out we really underestimated, was that nobody has any idea what the book is about. Because ah. it, it's called Cocktails on Tap. Right. And, we, and the subtitle is The Art of Mixing Spirits and Beer. Expands it. Right. Massively, yeah. And so we were, we were discussing with the publisher, like, will people realize it's about beer cocktails? Or will everybody think it's about how to put cocktails in kegs and you know, run them through a draft line? It's a great point, yeah. Yeah, which is a really, I mean, that could be a cool book, but that's a small market. Like, not sure. many people are going to buy that book. Yeah. Um, and as it turns out, everybody thinks that's what the book is about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I found this out when... Um, people started asking me if I could consult on bar projects. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, I would realize early in the conversation that it's because they think I wrote a book about how to do this. <laughs> and then I have to interrupt and be like, I actually have never done that in my life. Like, I just, just own it. That's what consulting is, right? Like, well, oh, sure, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to make it happen. You know, I finally did that about two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I didn't know why, but I'd, I'd been approached to do this event with uh, a tequila brand up in Portland. Yeah. And as it turned out, and I didn't know this until a few days before the event, they thought I had written the book on it. <laughs> and it, it, it got a little hairy. So I, the night before, I went to a friend of mine's bar who does catering, mm. and he does cocktails on tap. So he walked me through everything. 
Is you got like, you got all the back. You're like, oh, this kind of gas, this kind of can. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt really good about it going in, and uh, the the only reason I was saved is I actually got a friend of mine who used to work in a brewery to mm. to help me out. Oh, good. And so I, I would I was feeling good about it if the equipment worked. Right. As it turned out, the equipment had all been shipped up from De- Denver on a truck, Uh-oh. and it was all broken. Oh shit. Yeah. So and so we're trying to make this work, and we end up having to do this uh, like Cyrano de Bergerac kind of thing. Because the uh, the clients there and thinks I've written a book on this. Yeah, I have no clue how to fix this stuff. So, and, who, <laughs> so my friend, you is still like, have to sell it, right? Like, right. you're still gonna become a cross. So now. the guy's just like whispering, like, "You need a new regulator." I'm like, "Oh, it looks like you need a new regulator. We've got to <laughs> fix that." <laughs> so we pulled it off. The event went really, really well, and now I actually, you know, sort of know what I'm doing. Well, with that's that. good on the field training, so to <laughs> right. speak, right? So it's it worked like, out. It's the flux capacitor, <laughs> right? So I think oh that, shit, well. Maybe that's why they emphasize beer on the on okay. the cover. Cause. No, that makes sense because it's it's not implicit. It's very explicitly drawing your attention yeah. to the word beer. So maybe that's a nice little way that they're marketing the book. Right. That I don't ask you a bunch of questions <laughs> about kegging cocktails. You well, know? you know, I wish that somebody else already came out with a book called Beer Cocktails, okay. and I I wish I could have just called it that. It would have been easier. Nice I guess, and descriptive. Right? Like everybody knows exactly what you're getting. Like I've, I've made up my mind of if I do another book. The title is going to be really clear. <laughs> very, very concise. Yeah. Page 45 is what it's about. That's <laughs> right. what the title of the book is. Yes. Could this be. is a book about X. That's <laughs> the title right there. <laughs> Marketing and being an author. I mean, this is a, an incredible piece. You know, some stuff that I want to talk about. You know, you went to Vanderbilt. You're a published author. You've written for the Atlantic. Like, just a, like I said, a wide array of experiences and things. But if I understand correctly, you are from Spring, Texas? Yeah. So this is like coming home. This is crazy. So I'm from Katy, God okay. forbid, but, yeah. but it's just as esoteric as spring is, just right. in the other area of Houston. So you're born and raised, like in terms of high school and junior high and stuff, all in spring? Yeah, whole life. I uh, lived in two different places in spring, yeah. up in, all the way through high school. Oh, that's crazy. So there's many paths, I think, that take people into this industry. I'm doing air quotes, you know, and sometimes it's the math guys, the science guys. Sometimes it is the truly creative at heart artistic people. So I don't have any earthly idea what <laughs> side of this you fought on. Were you the creative guy in high school? Were you the music guy? You know, I, I never would have guessed that this is the industry I'd end up in. Yeah. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't drink in college. You know, like I, I was not a partier at all. Like I would have uh, like a glass of wine at the philosophy department happy hour. That seems or, pretty appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> And I think when I was 21, you know, I finally started out going to bars. But even then, it was like, uh, I ordered, what am I going to get? Right? I got the Amaretto Sour. I was like, oh, this is what, what I drink. It tastes good. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't like beer at all back then. Yeah. Um, so that, that all came a lot later. So you talk about philosophy. <laughs> I mean, is that, I still kind of take, because you went and you did some philosophy and e- economics, right? For yeah. Your, for your so that's what track. I thought I was doing. So that the hard kind of economics, macro, micro. All yeah. That. As much as I could. I, math has never been my biggest strong suit. So yeah. I, I was never going to become, yeah, like a top economist. Yeah, but patterns, those are easy to recognize. Yeah, right? yeah. So we actually, I remember in uh, my college classes, you know, we'd often do teamwork, and I was always paired up with this guy who was really good at math, but didn't get the concepts, and I got the concepts, and wasn't good at the math. So like he would solve the equation, and then he wouldn't know <laughs> what the the stuff meant. He's like, I solve for x. Like, 
what does it mean? Well, it means this. Like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, so together we could do it. Another Serrano mo- moment, actually. <laughs> if you think about it, right? So you get the beer guy doing the math. Yeah. And you're kind of selling it. Yeah, so it worked out. So what it, was your, were your folks in the hot... So sometimes... Here, here's the here's the guess, right? So sometimes it's everybody's in the hospitality industry. You're kind of born into it. And even if you don't realize it's in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Or it's a split. Dad's scientist. Mom's an artist. Like for you... What, how was that split with your folks? Were they both science? Were they both yeah, they were both uh, in education. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so my mom's an English teacher and my dad's a school psychologist. Really? Yeah, neither uh, K- one of them. K-12 or high ed? Or? Yeah, like all, mom was high school, you know, dad did everything. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, neither one uh, hospitality at all. Neither one much of a drinker. Uh, but mom interested in people. Yeah. Do you get maybe some of that? I think I do for my mom who's generally interested as a psych nurse. She was the, in people, but... Does it make you think about what motivates them? Kind of what makes them tick? Because you got e- economics, which is how they spend their money. The <laughs> right. But then sometimes I imagine you got to wonder why as people, like why they do the things that they do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely the outlier in the family. And, yeah? You know, in terms of traveling around and getting into this industry, I mean, it was definitely never what I expected or what they expected. Right. Well, they've always been very supportive of it. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, they're, they have to be. <laughs> Good psychology <laughs> is behavioral, right? Right. Like, Yes. Well, the, the, even the dedication, the dedication in the book was to my parents who never uh, questioned too much my dubious career choices. <laughs> <laughs> did they? Was it an expectation then that you entered high ed and did? Yeah, I mean, I thought thing? I would. You know, I you know I went to Vanderbilt, which yeah. is a really good university. I hear it's then, good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good spot. And then uh, you know, I went to Washington D.C. and I was interning at the Cato Institute. Really? Yeah. yeah tell me more about the Cato Institute. Heard of it, but not too familiar. Yeah. So they're so they're a libertarian think tank. Okay. So the constant battle that they always have is people want to call them conservative or Republican, and you know, <laughs> left or right, blue or red. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, they're they're libertarian, which is you know, free free markets, very free market economics, yeah. but also socially liberal and very tolerant and anti-war. So. Middle of the road is that fair? They kind of yeah. embracing a little bit of each side, or they just you could like call it that, or agnostic. Or, yeah, like in some ways they're pretty radical. You know, like they were well ahead of the curve, you yeah. know, on things like um, uh, ending the drug war and you know on personal liberties. Yeah. Uh, so you know, by that standard, they're pretty radical. Yeah, I would imagine so. It still hasn't yeah. happened yet. No. It's almost like bold to say that. Oh, we're <laughs> going to end the drug war. Yeah, and they've been at it, you know, since the eighties. Really? So they That's were crazy. way ahead of the curve. So what kinds of stuff were you doing over there? I worked in their press department mostly. Really? So that was. Um, a lot of like, reading their studies, you know, that might come out, or, or entire books, you know, and then condensing that into a five-paragraph press release that they would then send to the press gotcha. to, to try to get some interest. Which can be really, really kludgy and really, really boring sometimes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of, it, you are a distiller at heart, a distiller <laughs> of terms, right? <laughs> right. Was it something, were you kind of a writer before then? I don't always take people that are interested in econ- economics, like particularly writers, but were you at that point? Yeah, that's how I got into it. I um, I started a college newspaper. Really? Yeah. What was that about? Uh, it was a libertarian newspaper, essentially. Uh, so Do you fancy yourself <laughs> as a political person then? Yeah, I'm trying to. I always kind of have one foot into it. Yeah. So what is it? What interests you about politics? Uh, trying to escape it. <laughs> trying to escape it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ubiquitous was, nature of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty libertarian guy, so. And I'm also pretty contrarian, so I like arguing with people. That's good. Uh, yeah, and you know, being a libertarian, I guess the uh, the benefit is your people are never in power, so you can never actually be blamed for anything. That's a good point. <laughs> so that's a, that's really good, it's right? So it's kind of a luxury. Do you find there is? It's a very tense place right now politically. There's yeah. lots going on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this year is 
I mean, there's, I've never seen an election like this. I don't even... f- not necessarily the candidates themselves, but just as a, an observer of people and trends. What the hell? Do you, how do you feel about this year? Uh, I, it's just incomparable. Like, yes. there, there's so much to root against. That's but true. More, yeah. But also more, I mean, it's interesting as a libertarian because, you know, we all saw this as, you know, I think going a year ago, we all saw this as this great opportunity yeah. that, you know, you've got not particularly desirable candidates on either side. And, no. <laughs> you know, the Libertarian Party has nominated some really weird people. Uh, like is people Gary who should Johnson not have power. Now? Yeah, and so yeah. Gary Johnson's now, and That's... Bill Weld is his running mate. So okay. these are two former Republican governors with, you know, good records. Right. And you would think that, you know, this, as the sane option, you know, in this campaign, that this could be like amazing year for the Libertarians. Absolutely. Right. But it's, again, it's like... Uh... You know, Pepsi or Coke. Right. And then, you know, Gary Johnson had some big gaffes, which, you know, didn't help. Yeah, I heard about those. Yeah. So and then it just, Donald Trump just became so bad. I mean, he was never good, but in the past month especially, yeah. it's just become so horrible that you it's so lopsided that no matter who he's against, you don't even have to know. You could just, you know, random person from the United States, phone yeah. book. Just, John Johnson. <laughs> right. Johnson, yeah. John, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's a weird place it's it's kind of, do, you, do you find this fun at all because in a sense it is kind of fun that someone can kind of rise to power like an actor this is very truman show-esque right you know i mean how do you is do you find any humor in this at all i mean i have to or else yeah. i'm gonna go crazy and especially like a while ago i mean it's, i think it's become less funny over time but you know <laughs> yeah that is the quote of the whole interview this <laughs> become less funny over yeah. time you know i i said you know i'm glad that we live in the universe where we're going to get to see Donald Trump give a concession speech. You think he will, though? Well, or he's, or maybe not, but... We'll see know, him pout? Maybe, maybe we'll <laughs> see him pout. But, you know, I would like to, like, peek in on the other parallel universe where I get to see Hillary Clinton concede to Donald Trump just because that would be yeah. so bizarre. I mean, obviously, the real-world outcome would be terrible. Yeah. But, but it's, it's like you said, like, how does this happen? How does this reality tv star guy like how is, take over how is this reality in general <laughs> right and you know i rarely get people that are you know published authors and insightful polit- wait, not politicians <laughs> but uh, how about political commentary yeah yeah so i think that's fair right i can call, mm-hmm. call you that so here's an interesting thing and yeah this is a slight tangent but i find it kind of important so scientists for a couple years now <laughs> have been saying we live in a hologram it's like oh okay well maybe that makes some sense and if you start to think about it, and don't think about it like literally a hologram necessarily, right? But you start thinking about people are experiencing their own truths completely separate from the actual truth of the universe. How do people, or rather, I don't want to blame people point fingers, are there bubbles? Are people living in these bubbles in which everything they think is true and nothing that is true is true? Yeah, I mean, Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, there's a... A friend of mine coined the term uh, epistemic closure <laughs> in, in reference to people on the right who just uh, are in an echo chamber. Yeah. And you know, it came up with the polls, you know, last presidential election. They were all convinced the polls are wrong. And right. once the election comes, we're actually going to win. And obviously they didn't. It's constant state of denial. I don't know where right. it comes from. And it's just gotten worse. It has gotten worse. I don't know. I think as, so as an author, if you think about people because people are your market you've got this lovely book and you want people to be educated and feel empowered and you know all these things to kind of dive into the beers beer cocktails and is it feel like a big hurdle given they might not even know the truth about any of this 
They may just like ignore. Like that's not a book, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to worry about that. Yeah, it's a little know. bit lighter than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> so this kind of libertarian, the writing, the school newspaper. How was that received ultimately? It was good. You know, I could have could have stuck with it, but I I didn't really enjoy the office life in DC. Yeah. So I ended up uh, leaving leaving that pretty quickly to work in a coffee shop. Really? Which was actually where I was happiest. You know, like I would I would get off work and you know hate having been in an office all day. Yeah. And then I would walk two miles to my favorite coffee shop, and that was the only place I really felt happy when I was Solace. there. Solace. Yeah. Was it that in DC as well? Yeah, that was in DC. So I did coffee for probably about three years. Did you ever feel, and I, I don't think of it this way because the hospitality industry, including coffee, is quite lucrative now, but stepping away, you've got your degree from Vanderbilt. You're working for essentially a lobbyist or a think tank, like mm-hmm. you said. Stepping into hospitality and coffee. Like, did you, was that ever like, huh, maybe this, is it a step down or is it just because it makes you happy it's the right thing? To do? You know, I liked it. You know, I, li- I was much happier there. Yeah. And I, and I think I was... Probably one of the few people who ever turned down a job at the Cato Institute to work in a coffee shop. But yeah, that's what I wanted to do. But Talk about libertarian values. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you definitely didn't get respect in D.C., at least back then. I think really? now people respect the hospitality industry there a lot more. Yeah. But at the time, you know, I would go to a, you know, a happy hour or a cocktail party with people in politics. Right. And you know, they'd ask every, everybody in D.C. the first question, well, what do you do? It's like you know, L.A. What can it? you do for me? Uh, and, uh, what do you drive? Yeah, right. And as soon as I tell them, you know, I'm a, a barista at this coffee shop. Rather than follow up with something about coffee or what's interesting about that, the question's always, oh, well, what, what are you trying to do? Uh, <laughs> as if it's not good enough. Right. right? And it's like, no, I, I actually could be working at a think tank, but I'm really much more interested in this right now. And You're walking it, the earth like Khan, man. <laughs> you know? That, I mean, that's a, that takes a lot of courage, but a lot of focus to say, I'm going to really do this thing I love. And would you say that maybe your eyes and your tongue opened up to flavor and flavor composition more as you into Oh, yeah, coffee. absolutely. I totally credit that because, um, you know, when I got into it, I just like the atmosphere of the coffee shop. It wasn't so much, you know, that I knew anything about coffee right. or wanted to geek out about coffee. This was, this was 2004. I mean, that's still, still early on. Still pretty early on yeah. in the coffee days. And then, it, as it turned out, my favorite shop that I'd been going to when I applied uh, was getting bought by this guy uh, named Nick Cho, who, if mm-hmm. you follow the coffee world, Nick is, yeah, a big celebrity. Kind of classed. Yeah, yeah, like he's he's one of the the leaders for sure, and he now does Wrecking Ball in uh, San Francisco. Oh wow! But so he he was buying the shop, and so I met Nick, and he hired me. And the very first day of training, he had, he just did the best thing, which was he he took all of us, four or five of us who were starting the new shop, mm. and we went to his original shop, and he handed us a twenty dollar bill. Okay. And he said, "Go down the street to Starbucks and just get whatever you normally get." So we all go to Starbucks, we, do, we get our drinks, we bring them back. And then he, he goes down the line. He's like, what did you get? And if like, I got an Americano, he's like, now I'm going to make you an Americano. And he would just make it his way. A, B, it. Right. Oh, and wow. did it for me. I think I was drinking lattes back then. And oh. so, you know, I had this paper cup of generic Starbucks sure. latte. And then he did it in a ceramic mug with this beautiful Rosetta latte art. And it was mind-blowing. He's like, oh, this is really cool. It was much better. Like, mind-blowing is good, but like, eye-opening. Yeah, you like know. I never would have thought about it that way. And, you know, we did weekly cuppings at work. and so That's incredible. That, yeah, so my palate got developed because of that. Was there a way that you leaned um, in terms of a coffee, coffee preparation? Are you a purist? Were you something, somebody like slight sweetness? Uh, you know, I, I pretty much just drink black coffee all the time now. Yeah. You know, back then it. it was espresso because uh, when you're working in a shop, that's really easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then once I had to start buying my own coffee, I was like, oh, you know, I like, I like <laughs> well, hanging out shit, with dude. a mug yeah. and relaxing. 
It's it, it is, and I think it's so akin to spirits drinking things neat. You know, we're sipping some Tobala, right? Now from Real, Real, Real Monero, and some of that minerality and almost this cl- that clay nature. Coffee does have that too. You know, yeah, it for is, sure. It's rich. Do you find? And I, I know to geek out on coffee for a second, but is there a particular region that you like over others? Because I'm always looking for suggestions. I had some yeah. Ethiopian blend that was lovely. I was always drawn to the Ethiopian ones. Yeah. The African, I like the big fruity ones. Very fruity. Yeah, yeah almost slightly acidic. Mm-hmm. You know really really interesting so i see this kind of this momentum building like the eyes are opening you're learning how to taste you like to taste <laughs> when does alcohol make in a sense its second entrance for you so it was funny i was i was trying to decide what to do you know how to turn being a barista into a career yeah and so your options you could open a shop sure and you know i wasn't really prepared to do that or you could become a roaster and I actually had an option to sort of look into that, but it would have meant like moving away to this rural part of Virginia. Mm. And it's like, ah, oh, that's a lot of time. You like deal- the, the bustle of the city? Yeah, I like yeah. being in a city and like dealing with people and, you know, roasting is totally kind of slow. back of housework. And like, totally. you see your coworkers, but that's about it. Yeah. So uh, I decided, well, maybe cocktails are this thing. And there's so many flavors to play with. Like, maybe yeah. I like that. So uh, I, I worked at a place where I, was, where I worked as a barista and they had a full bar. So oh, they let nice. me start doing. Like daytime bartender. And it's right next to you. Yeah. So I became a daytime bartender. And you know, this place had 120 seats and nine martini glasses. We were not a serious <laughs> <laughs> cocktail destination. But a good place to play. Yeah. Right? So, I, so I started learning a little bit about it that way. Uh, but it never really clicked. Yeah. So. Just, yeah. Were, you, were you not uh, passionate about it? Did it not. I didn't the know the people. Make sense? Like I didn't have the people to be mentors. Gotcha. So yeah, they were, as it turns out, they were in D.C., but I didn't know who they were. You know, people like Derek Brown, you yeah. know, he was there at the time, but I didn't know better. So I just I just kind of thought, well, cocktails are actually kind of boring. Really? <laughs> yeah, so I, so I decided I to leave. At and, that point, anyway. Yeah, and so I, I actually went back to Cato and took a full-time job and committed to a year. You did it? Yeah. Why? I, I didn't know what else I'm to do. I'm not judging you, I yeah. swear. But uh, dead-end thing? We're like, I got to go back and Yeah, I was I like, know. well, you know, this is fun, but, you know, I, I need a real job and I like Cato, so I'm going to... You know, at least tolerate it. You know, yeah. it's not, didn't, wasn't, the office life was never ideal, but it was like, right. yeah, I can do this. I can. It's like going back to the ex. Right. She's all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably not going to marry her, but she's all yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it seemed like the thing to do at the time. Yeah. But I told him, you know, I've got to take a vacation before I start. So it's just funny you say that. I went to visit my ex in, ah, uh, yes. <laughs> in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, it clicked. Right. We went to this bar. It's still there. It's a bar called Rye. Okay. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, and she and I were basically the only people in the bar. It was a slow night. We just sat down at the bar, met the bartender, uh, who I think was actually from Texas, if I remember correctly. They always are, man. And who, then, you, you don't know who it was, do you? I don't, I okay. no It'd idea be funny if it was Claire. Claire Sprouse, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, anyway. it, was, it was a guy. I okay, know that. Okay. But it just totally changed my mind. Like They were doing the fresh juices, great ingredients I'd never tried before, yeah. just amazing drinks. And sitting at that bar in San Francisco was it clicked. It's like, this is what I need to be doing. Really? I just committed to a year of not doing this. And so... Did I, you know what, what was it that you had? Do you remember? Like I couldn't tell you. Heard. I couldn't but tell it, you anything that I had. Because <laughs> there's plenty of them to be had, I <laughs> yeah, suppose. Yeah. But it was great. And, yeah. And so then I started um, throwing weekly, what we called them speakeasy nights in my apartment. So you know, David Wondrick's book, Imbibe, came out that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the book from Absinthe in San Francisco was out oh, by yeah, then. Yeah. So I bought, I was buying books like that and then hunting down ingredients, you know, like creme de violette. And it was hard for a while to find that. Oh thing. yeah, it was really hard. Like I remember back then I went to New York City and went to Pegu Club and they were selling Regan's Orange Bitters from the bar because there was no way to get 
orange bitters in DC. Like, I brought them back in a suitcase from a bar in New York. So it was the only way to even get something like that. That's incredible. Are we we talking uh, maybe 2005, 2006? This was like 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still very young in the chronology of (laughs) cocktail culture. Yeah. And so I would make cocktails at my house and uh, about once a week or so and invite a dozen friends over and just put out a cocktail shaker and asked them to put some money into funds, you know, buying all this weird stuff. Did you find you had a knack for it? Yeah. I mean, now I look back on some of the stuff I make that, you know. I want to disassociate myself from it. Get a... No one remembers. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the apartment speakeasy nights. Well, this is where the writing gets in. I was blogging back then, too. So, oh, really? So I actually would blog the recipes. And now I look, I look back at some of those. I'm like, oh, I wish that wasn't online. <laughs> That's a good thing. No, I hope like, nobody makes this. What, what, oh, man. What site? What were you using back then to blog? Uh, WordPress. Ah. Okay. Yeah. And I still use it. So Yeah. I saw your site. You're still actively updating things. A little bit. Yeah. Blogging's kind of faded out. But yeah. it's nice to still have the site. We're traveling a bit. Yeah. Growing up, becoming an author, <laughs> right. soon to be best-selling author, right? Well, that, how long then did it take before this DC stint and so doing the think tank stuff, doing coffee, doing yeah. cocktails that click, <laughs> but then Portland becomes a really big part of your life? Yeah, so I, I committed to a year, so I was yeah. in... I was, oh, so you did do that? I did, okay. yeah. I think I stayed like that. a month longer, Yeah, and then... Uh, I guess my last vacation from the job, I went to Tales. Okay. So went down to Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans, got to, to know people. Then I came back to D.C. and uh, just threw, put everything in a storage locker, filled up my car as much as I could. And then I spent two months driving across the country, assuming Portland was kind of the default destination, right. but it was open to stopping somewhere. So I you know, almost stayed in Denver. That's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. Like, I would love to do that again. Were you writing about it, like Kerouac? <laughs> no, I was. It's funny though. I, I read that book on that trip. Did you really? It was like I've never read you know on the road. This yeah. is like if I'm gonna do it, I actually read it in Denver, which was the most appropriate spot to do it. But that's, also, yeah, amazing. Most stereotypical asshole thing to be that guy in well, the coffee shop reading. We Kerouac all get to do that though. Trip. Like you know, reading Jesus, I don't know Balzac or something, <laughs> Dante in a library or right. a coffee shop. You gotta have those moments. Yeah. So I was that guy for a month. That's good. Yeah. Where did you? So, man, what were you? Did you sit? Did you like stockpile all the money that you made that year, and just so that you could go in a nomadic sense and just kind of drive around? Yeah, pretty much. And also ring up some credit card bills once I got back to Portland because, Portland. or once I made it to Portland because you know it was it was two thousand eight. The job market was terrible. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it's good t- time t- to do that. Yeah, to, <laughs> right. to fucking drive around. You know. Yeah. What was it? What was the allure? I love Portland, but what to you was the allure? Did you know somebody up there? Was it a girl? Knew no, knew a couple people, but not yeah. not really that many. But uh, the year before, I'd friend and I had flown out to uh, Seattle, Vancouver, and Portland. Oh, man. Just kind of like investigative trip. Like, do I want to move out here? Which one of these cities should I go to? Yeah. And Portland kind of wanted out. Like, San Francisco is too expensive. Totally. Uh, Seattle, I didn't know anybody. Portland was this good kind of up-and-coming in-between place. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't have gone anywhere better. And you knew that the hospitality stuff, is that, or that's just what you could get? I hear the job market, let's put it that way, the job market, especially at that time, and Portland anyway. It's yeah. really, really tense. Yeah, it was really bad then. But I was open. I was going to take whatever I could get, coffee, cocktails, yeah. even you know, working in a brewery if that was an option. Sure. Well, lots of them. Distillery yeah. row up there. I mean, mm-hmm. plenty of things. Plenty of concrete jungles like we're sitting in right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you ultimately, where did you land? land when, when uh, you a place called Carlisle. Carlisle, okay. Yeah, which is not around anymore. Uh, but it ended up being great. Like I, uh, It was funny. Yeah, the, the, it was only two of us, two bartenders. Uh-huh. Or actually, actually, there were three. There was one other guy, but you know, the uh, the manager brought me in because you know, I knew about all these geeky cocktails. Sure, but I didn't have the background to uh, to know the stuff that people actually order. 
So, you know, I could be like, oh, this is Martinez with old Tom Gin and a bar spoon of maraschino. <laughs> then an order for a lemon drop comes in. I'm like, how do you make that again? <laughs> it's so weird. Like, it's too intellectual. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Sometimes, like, too cerebral. That's how this industry <laughs> is. But sometimes all you want is a nice, good <laughs> sex on the beach. Right? right. Or a Har- Harvey Wallbanger. Yeah. Something like that. So I was definitely out of my element there, but I learned a lot. Yeah. And as it turned out, the bar manager left three months later. And so they brought, they elevated me to actually run the program. Had you, had you done anything like that before? It no, like never. It's kind of like independent thought up until then, right? Not having to wrangle people. Yeah. Like show to work on time and all that. <laughs> yeah. So it was a great opportunity that I lucked out into. And honestly, it was a little rough. Yeah. You know, for the first couple of months that I was in charge. Just about yeah. how old were you when you head up to Portland? Uh, let's see. That would have been probably like 25, 26. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's I awesome. totally lucked yeah. out. That's and, a great opportunity. And it was cool. It was a fine dining restaurant with this little 12-seat cocktail bar on the side. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, it was a perfect spot. Can't get three deep. <laughs> right. Just 12 seats. That's yeah. a perfect way to kind of just understand all aspects of it. A nice incubator. I've been using yeah. that word a lot. but It, it was like a blast. That. It was a really cool spot. Do you feel like what was that step that maybe put you on an, a national platform? Because as a writer, it feels like that probably happened. At, I mean... Yeah, you're working in D.C. and perhaps the press releases go out nationally. Mm-hmm. But as a bartender or as a bar manager, what was that thing for you that elevated you? To yeah, I mean, that's level? that. Would, I mean, I honestly having that background, especially back then, yeah. was incredibly lucky. Really, and I don't think you can really do that anymore. But you know, looking in Oregon, like Jeff, Jeffrey Morgenthaler is the same way. Yeah, I mean, he was in Eugene, Oregon, at the time. Really? Yeah. So you were you were there before it was? I actually, yeah, I was. I got to Portland before Jeff did. No I, kidding. On my road trip, I actually stopped when I was driving from San Francisco to Portland. Stopped in Eugene and went to his bar because we had this community of bloggers. You know, I went to see Jeff, and yeah. then when I got to Portland, there was another blogger named Lance Mayhew, and he, I'd never met Lance in my life, and he messaged me on Google Chat. I was like, Hey, when you get to Portland, we need a room to stay in. You you can stay at my place to find an apartment. That's inc- the writing. Yeah, the writing brings us together. Yeah, well, bro, you guys, I don't write. Much, right, but, but I mean, it's hard. Back then, you could actually make your, a name for yourself as a blogger. Yeah, that's and insane. Like, you know, Jeff is obviously amazingly talented. Yeah. But, you know, being in Eugene, he probably wouldn't have gotten national attention. Biggest but, fish in the small pond, right? Right. But With then the he blood. has this blog that people can read from all over the world. And suddenly, you know, it doesn't matter where you are Yeah. if, if you're making good stuff. And do, you, do you ever look at your, and I'll call it influence, but your influence on the industry and kind of the narrative about cocktails? Do you ever look at yourself as saying, well, maybe I was a founding father after <laughs> this, you know, this particular chapter? Because obviously you've got pre-prohibition and guys writing about right. it. Right. You know, it's pretty funny. Like, you know, there's people like Jeff who have obviously shaped the industry. Yeah. And then I feel like the things I do are like the weird footnotes, the weird <laughs> things that happen. Yeah, like beer cocktails. Are, you know, it's not like this huge trend. Yeah. But, you know, I've had... You're the, a footnote. <laughs> you know, that's, had this, that's real self-deprecating, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Or like uh, my favorite is the Bone Luge. The Bone Luge. I mean. Right. Which, you know, we managed to spread globally. It How? Is, I have no idea. <laughs> I guess there's appeals to bones, potentially. It was funny. We came up with it... Um, well, it started just as this spur-of-the-moment thing at the first ever Portland Cocktail Week mm-hmm. where I was out with uh, Donnie Ronan and uh, the brand ambassador for um, Don Julio. Okay. You know, the brand up for Don Julio. And we were eating bone marrow, and there's a plate of bones in front of me. And I was like, guys, let's do a bone luge. <laughs> just this dumb idea. <laughs> and the bartender's like, yes, you're doing it. Yes. And so suddenly we start doing this, and it goes out on Twitter, and some other people start doing it. And then it faded out. And then a year later, 
uh, we were back at the same place, and we remember this night. Yeah. And this was when the pickleback was taking off. Oh, God. You know, shot of, shot of whiskey, shot of pickle juice. Right. And we're thinking, you know what? Uh, if the pickleback can take off, I'll bet, I'll bet we could make bone luge take off. And so we hashtag it. We make a Twitter account. You guys didn't have, like, a gentleman's <laughs> bet, did you? <laughs> yeah, we basically did. We're like, I'll bet we could do this. Here's 20 that says we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And we and it took off. It's crazy. That is so strange. We, and every like every three months or so, I'll be online and just Google Bone Luge or like search for Instagram or Twitter, and I always find the craziest stuff. Oh man! And just like I started that, <laughs> right? I mean, your contribution. Let's let's distill it out a little bit. Your contribution to civilization <laughs> was the Bone Luge, right? Like I can imagine being like in my sixties at a bar somewhere. Yeah. I'm seeing some young people doing the bone luge, and I'll just be the old man like, I invented that bone luge back in 2010. You don't even know, kid. <laughs> We've toughed it through the bone luge. Lesser quality bones right. in my day. I think it's interesting. I mean, that's a very interesting entry into the national cocktail narrative. <laughs> Talk about Portland Cocktail Week. It sounds like you've been pretty entrenched in that the emergence of the cocktail culture in Portland. So when did you get, as a writer, kind of a, what I'd consider maybe international or national non-bone luge voice? <laughs> uh, it was probably really the, uh, the beer cocktail book yeah. put me out there. How does that even, I mean, so, so you're, is this part of a press tour, this Austin date? I mean, given you're returning to Texas and stuff and it's kind of home, but is Austin considered a press date, a book tour? Yeah, I mean, the, the USBG chapter, you know, Dwayne reached out to me. And oh, cool. So I was thrilled to do it. Uh, but yeah, because you know, it's nobody has book budgets <laughs> anymore no, to go travel and do stuff. Really so you know, any other stops on this? Let's call it a tour. I'm gonna give you. Yeah, this is the. I'm back to Portland tomorrow night. Oh really? But uh, hopefully planning some stuff soon because there's there's a lot of places in the country I haven't gotten to go and do stuff yet. Yeah, and I think it would resonate pretty well. Yeah. Too. So the Atlantic is also on your resume. Mm-hmm. How do you? How did you kind of jump into the stream of these great media outlets? Was that it was the, uh, the blog as well. No, that was a blind pitch. Really? Yeah, I uh, I had an article I wanted to write uh, on tobacco, mm-hmm. and I just wrote the whole thing on spec. You know, I, I sat in coffee shops for days, wrote this you know thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred word article. Yeah, and just reached out blindly. That's uh, amazing. Because I've been out of writing for you know a long time, especially policy writing. Yeah, and they took it, and that was kind of the entry back into it. And did you notice that work was kind of showing up more quickly and kind of less? breaks in between yeah i mean I, that's actually why i got the uh the book actually yeah because i've been pitching yeah, tell me how it kind of came about so i, I had the or some friends and i we did these beer cocktail events mm-hmm. uh so ezra johnson green i was a beer blogger in portland and yet aerobic on the bar and so the three of us collaborated and i saw this potential for a book right. on beer cocktails after we'd done it for a while it's like you've been telling me and i've had beer cocktails but mm-hmm. like for people that might listen to this like beer cocktails beer beer Right? Yeah. Like, that's all I need. What, <laughs> right. To you, maybe besides the shandy, what is the most rudimentary beer cocktail that people could kind of dive into? Ah, oh, well, Michelada's up there. Michelada. Yeah. Oh, we get those. that here. We understand yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> right. See, that makes a lot of sense. You're bringing mm-hmm. us back in. So you're talking to these two other guys and you just think beer cocktails, it's a good pitch. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, did, we did the series of events, you know, mostly in Portland, but we also did dinners in uh, like Seattle, San yeah. Francisco. We did one at Tails. Oh, cool. So it, was, it seemed like there was potential for it, and so we put together this book proposal and got nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Like nobody's. It was the best demo tape ever, but nobody listened yeah, to like it. Yeah, like I don't even know if we got rejections. We just got ignored. Oh, I hate that. It's yeah. even worse. Yeah, and we tried to get I tried to get agents, and agents weren't picking it up. Yeah. Like what every, year are we talking? Because I imagine it's a couple years it took, right? Yeah, this had. Let's see, the book came out in 2015. Finished it in 2014. This has been like 2013. Still kind of st- market's weird for yeah. artists, right? At that point. Yeah, and it was a little esoteric. So yeah, we we got nowhere. So. Um, Ended up doing a Kickstarter. Oh, to try oh. to get a Kickstarter for it, and watch that like just plateau and fail. Oh man, so, so you raised some money, I presume, but it's not what you were looking for. Yeah, and the and you only get paid if you actually reach your goal. Ooh, I so, didn't realize that. Yeah, so you know, I, Do they uh, keep it otherwise. No, nobody. Ref- just, nobody ref- gets okay. run. Okay. So just no money changes hands. God, I just want to hate Kickstarter sometimes. <laughs> There's still the, like, well, you got to get it. We keep the money. Yeah, right. right. That no, it doesn't work like that. But you know, I spent money on a video. Yeah. Oh, okay. Know, to, Doing production and stuff. Yeah, and luckily I had some friends who helped me out with that, and were willing to make me a deal. Like, uh, it's this much if the project fails, and there's a bonus if it succeeds. Oh, that's so, great. So that's that really out. nice and flexible. Yeah, but the Kickstarter was failing, so. You know, it got off to a great start, and then it was just, you could see it just creeping up, but not going up. And right. Like, I realized halfway through, like, nothing, this isn't going to happen. Man, so what are you, are you ready to abandon the project at that point? Pretty much. And then what happened was, you know, I wrote the, the tobacco article for The Atlantic, uh-huh. came out during that Kickstarter, and uh, the guy, Judd Lagi, who ended up being my agent, saw the article in The Atlantic, emailed me out of the blue, because this is what he does, is he yeah. finds people that he wants to work with and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book about tobacco? So what, what aspect of <laughs> tobacco specifically are we talking about? Um, kind of uh, pro-tobacco in a way, but anti-cigarette. I see. So like I'm, as, a, I'm, as a raw kind of resource, a great thing, but as a, like a highly produced and kind of processed yeah. thing, and, and, so and I feel like it missed, missed the uh, renewal that so many other things did, like yeah. coffee and food and wine. That's like, an interesting point. How do you feel about uh, cigars, let's say? I'm really into cigars. Yeah, me too. Yeah, love them. Natural. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just and my agent's a cigar smoker, so oh, that's nice. how he contacted me. So, he knew. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, he said, you want to do this book on tobacco, like the kind of things you're writing about? And I said, yeah, that sounds great, but I'll be honest, I've been totally failing at the book world, and I've got this concept and proposal ready to go, you know, if you want to take a shot at that first. Yeah. And so he took the beer cocktail book and immediately got <laughs> offers That's like, to the same people I was reaching out to because he's got the contact yeah man. it's his job right so I'm sure I send it in some intern looks at it throws it in the slush right. pile it's like uh oh what's, but, his, what's, your, what's your agent's name again uh, Judd Judd yeah he sends it in Judd Loggy and yeah. uh, it's like oh it's yes right. let's talk about this So that's incredible so as it turned out the tobacco book never worked out I'd <laughs> well may, not yet anyway not yet maybe it'll happen so I'm still Hopefully. writing articles about that but we're the book may not uh, at least come out in the form we'd intended. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So uh, it sounds like about a two, the book came out, when officially in 2015? Uh, in March. March so of it's been out uh, like a year and a half now. That's crazy. So people in the industry, how, how are they feeling about it? It seems to have done pretty well. I definitely get good feedback. Um, you know, I love seeing drinks on the menu, which happens every once in a while, and then you know oh, that wow. they've actually made them. Yeah. You know, my favorite is, I uh, <laughs> shouldn't say my favorite, but I've had a couple instances where I've had somebody uh, tell me how much they like the book. Uh-huh. And then you can tell by the conversation that they think it's about putting cocktails in kegs. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he never read that. You know? <laughs> I love taps. <laughs> I 
love pressurized cakes. Like, yeah, cocktails on tap, great idea. You can tell, like, all these bars are doing it. Yeah, it's not what my book's about. Man, it's funny because it's just, like, a great supporting actor that people know from kind of this (laughs) thing. Like, weren't you in that thing? You know, and then they build this reputation. But the thing is, like, I think you're probably a very substantial and insightful writer. (laughs) The Atlantic doesn't fuck around. Right, well, thank you. You know, and I... I will, this is short notice, I haven't had a chance yeah. to read the book yet, but so it seems like the industry is responding well to it. What about the layman? Someone that just wants to be more educated about cocktails, beer cocktails. Yeah, it seems to have gotten a good response. I mean, it's um, it's pretty approachable. I've had a couple of people say, like, there's a lot of obscure ingredients in here, which yeah. is true, but yeah, there's definitely drink that anybody can make. Yeah, because ultimately, how do you want to shift the narrative? Is there... Not to say it's a nefarious intent, but is there a key objective for the book? Something that, like, if nothing else, someone would take away from it. I'd say there's two things that I'd like to see. I mean, one is just kind of more beer in general. Yeah. And one of my favorite ideas from the book is using beer in tiki drinks. Oh, geez. Works really well. Yeah. It's like uh, my fa- one of the, the drinks that's actually taken off a little bit is the, the Mai Tai PA. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Clever. yeah. Totally a classic <laughs> Mai Tai with an ounce and a half of IPA. Oh, it's perfect. And then you shake it all together and you yeah. get this, like, floral citrusy bitter note to it it's just really nice it just elevates it and then the other what i really like to see happen which hasn't happened yet is hot beer drinks because there's a whole chapter in the book on beer. serving okay. beer hot which is ooh, it's like a no-no for yeah a lot of things. it's weird now but used to be totally common really and, and it's because you know styles of beer changed sure. like you would not take you know a german lager and you know do a mold to beer with it, or uh, you, or an IPA. Like right. you heat up an IPA, that bitterness gets overwhelming. Real, it sucks. real pronounced, yeah. Uh, but if you take like a uh, really malty English ale, and oh, you yeah. know heat it up with some cognac and some sugar and some spices, slice of orange. It's a really beautiful hot drink. That's incredible. Yeah, and these this used to be totally standard, and it's really fallen out. So I, I'd really like to see hot beer drinks take off. I think it could. I mean, I think people are looking. There, we're getting to a point where, in cocktails anyway, it's getting real, real detailed. Yeah. Right. And at some point, it's going to be so onerous with ingredients, you're gonna be like, I'm going to have to revert to something simple. <laughs> but to think about beer in that different way, but the right kind of beer, I think it could happen. I think it I'd could like to be see a it. phase, right, that people go through, or not a phase, but just a another chapter. Yeah. An enhancement of it. We did have one beer bar in uh eugene oregon that was doing it you and place eugene. called plank town yeah <laughs> eugene is it's a it's underrated spot man. yeah what which one did you guys work on there uh, i had nothing to do with it i just oh. uh they, oh but you saw it yeah oh killer yeah it's a brewery called plank town and their bar manager got into the idea and so they started doing in the winter mold beers of various kinds that's really really interesting yeah. and then he actually moved to portland so now he and i actually work together no kidding. At a new place called Wayfinder, which we just opened. Wayfinder. What's the, so you do the writing, you're traveling a bit, but mm-hmm. still very much connected to the industry on a day to day. Yeah, fair? yeah. So we. What's this the is, day job, I suppose you could <laughs> right, say. Right. So uh, yeah, Wayfinder opened about three weeks ago. Uh, so we're a German style brewery. Oh. Uh, and uh, they re- they wanted they they're a brewery, but they really wanted to have good food and they really wanted to have good cocktails. Yeah. So it's been this experiment. So both both beer and spirit cocktails. Yeah. Oh, incredible. So it's it's uh, it's an experiment to see if. You know, if people take to it. Like, can you be a brewery and will people come in and say, you know what, I'm actually going to have the rum old-fashioned today. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so, I hope there's some staples, right? Some Maybe schnitzel or some yeah, sausage. Yeah, pretzels, lots of sausages. Oh, it's but, good. But it's been great. Yeah, the, the cocktails have taken off. That's crazy. Where, where in Portland is it? 
uh, in the central east side. Okay. Kind of that industrial area with Distillery Row. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, it, I'm not about to speak for Portland's rise to prominence again, but, I mean, that seemed <laughs> like a great area. A lot of things happening. Yeah. New Rick House, there was, like, an ice cream spot across the way from House Spirits, too. Like, just... Just stuff that's like, oh, that reminds me of home. Yeah, it reminds me of Austin. <laughs> We're kind of like the younger, punkier little right little sister, perhaps. But so three three weeks in, brilliant. You've got a book. You've worked in politics. <laughs> you've worked in coffee. I don't know what could possibly be left. Of course, there are, I'm sure uncharted territories for you. <laughs> How do you feel about uh, let's say family? You feel like starting a family, settling down, any of that stuff? Not anytime soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> makes it hard to balance that stuff. Yeah, like, honestly, I want to travel more. Yeah. Get We're out. Asia, man. Yeah, I really want to go. I've, I've been to Sri Lanka. That's the only place in Asia I've been. It's, be- it's, it's great. You talk about cocktail culture. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about people that may, the book may even more resonate with, you know. It's really, really interesting. So any next steps? So you've got this bar. Like I said, three weeks in, I'm trying to figure out, like, is another? Do you want to write another book, or was it too daunting? The first. Oh time? yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So like, I'd love for the tobacco book to be picked up. I've uh, pitched people on an Aquavit book. Oh, that's cool. Which we've got a bottle here. Yeah. Which is interesting. What and explain to, this was this a, a token gift from Portland? This box bottle. No. Of so this is. Uh, I've actually done started doing some work with uh, this brand, which is Brennavan. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, like five years ago, I started an event called Aquavit Week. Okay. So again, this is like doing those weird footnotes to the mixology world. Like, you're, you're Mr. I love Aquavit. Mr. Footnote, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's growing. So uh, we're actually just about to announce this year's Aquavit Week. We are uh, expanding for uh, Portland, uh, Chicago, New York, and Houston. Oh, we're going to do a week of events in all those cities. I'm going to travel all over. There's a massive Aquavit passion. Here in Texas. Yeah, I think Texas could be like one of the best states for Aquavit Week or for Aquavit in general. Yeah. You like, could tap you might be tapping into something. Yeah, I was I was shocked, you know, we came this uh this brand event just from Iceland, you know, the importer and I came to Austin about six weeks ago. Yeah. And he was in awe. Like he you know, he, he, he goes know. all over the country and you know presents, you know, this product to bars. Yeah. And like literally everybody said yes like everybody we're going to is like oh, yeah crazy. we want that and that's so crazy like we never have that experience no no one no <laughs> one has paved the way yet here in texas there's I, there are to my knowledge my peers in this distilling realm we haven't worked on an aquavit i mean to me it's not i love it but it's not something i want to work on yeah but i know it's gonna it's gonna happen dude yeah it's taking off like i just updated our site there's more than 30 aquavits in the u.s now so it's incredible it's definitely growing well and, and it makes sense if you're a distiller and you don't have time to, like, age your whiskey. You've right. got to get a clear spirit out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you know gin is tough. It is. Vodka's yeah. even more tough. Right. So Aquavit is this option that only a few people have realized, oh, that's a different different avenue to take. That's a good point. So is it okay if I W Mr. Footnote? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think I can go your with Twitter that. Twitter handle. Like, forget all this, like, eponymous stuff. Right. Like, Jacob and all that. Mr. Footnote. But, <laughs> dude, it's, it was great. And thanks so much on short notice. Kind of oh, yeah. Thank you for having me in. Chat. This is it's awesome. Good. And I hope you enjoyed the Mescal. Let's get to the airport and get you on to the next tour stop on this book tour. Even All right. I know you're well, heading you. back to Portland, but it's great, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Jacob? I, it was really great getting to talk to him and listening back to the interview now post election results some of this stuff is terrifying to actually to hear the things that we thought were going to happen the things that didn't happen but did the alternate universe that jacob actually talks about i mean 
it's nice to touch on politics. It's nice to touch on booze. And of course, I really look forward to diving into Jacob's book, Cocktails on Tap, The Art of Mixing Spirits and Beer. And if you can catch him at the San Antonio Cocktail Conference talking about Akavit, I really think you'll enjoy the company. He has a lot of insight and a lot of passion about Aquavit, but spirits and the world in general. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. It's 2017. Lots of drinking last night. Lots of celebrating. No matter how many of your New Year's resolutions you do accomplish or do not accomplish, please keep dancing.